that's where that kind of blockchain decentralized system helps. The only worry I have right now is that with quantum computing, um, all of these like cryptocurrencies and blockchain hashes could be recalculated back and rewritten. Anatoly, welcome to Bluemax Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hello, hello, Ravi. Thanks for inviting me. Perfect. So, yeah, you're coming out of the legal innovation zone, if I'm not mistaken, with Pact, your exactly. company. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we got we got uh, to know legal innovation zone through Nafis, the the, the previous manager there. Uh, he came on and you know talked a little about um, what you, what's going on at the legal innovation zone. It's kind of cool to have an incubator that's focused on primarily on legal tech. Right, it's not something that you would regularly think about with technology, right? With lawyers and and legality, but the more we talked to Nafis and talked to her about legal innovation zone, it made so much sense. You know, the legal industry is literally pen and paper. Like it's literally, you know, it's based on a very like you know like um, historical record of uh, of the legal system, which itself doesn't bend and change that easily. So to have technology being implemented to you know smoothen the process out is I, I think uh, very interesting. So. Love to hear more about uh, your startup and what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. So at Pact, we're building um, this new kind of thing, and you're just, you hit it exactly right on the on the on, on nail in the head, uh, as they say. With everyone thinking that legal is like this big, boring piece of whatever it is, but if you think really well, it's the, those strings that connect all of the businesses and whatever happens in any business. Uh, specifically like agreements and contracts and deals and all of the arrangements, they have to operate in some kind of an operating system, right? Like the the human societies have, have made this uh, social contract, right? That would be agreeing to contracts, would be agreeing to deals, uh, shaking hands, signing documents, and this is how we work. And then if something goes wrong, you go to court. And because of these legal systems, now everything else is enabled in commerce. Right now, you can enter into an agreement because there are sets of rules. So I wouldn't say it's actually boring. And I, I, if you flip like the perspective and actually think about it really well, um, it, it is actually very fun and very interesting. And uh, indeed, Legal Innovation Zone is one of the few hubs in the world that supports this legal tech. And and for the last eight months, probably, legal tech has like accelerated probably four years ahead. So with COVID, with uh, digitization, and with like this ongoing push for efficiency and push for like you know keep doing the deals online, like you know r- r- even right now we're doing a, a podcast with you over the over, over the computer, right? So it's not a face-to-face experience, but still we have to adapt, and a bunch and a bunch of businesses and owners and salespeople have to adapt to the legal requirements as well. Mm. And we at Pact we're building an agreement platform. So it's uh, it's a combination of a professional chat, like a messenger, and a set of deal-making tools that help you along the deal-making process. So starting from negotiation, going into creating a document and easily negotiating it back and forth, then signing it, paying it, and then managing your relationship in the same chat. You could extract that thing, show it in court, and now because you have chat, you're you're super flexible, and now you could enter into deals by sharing photos, uh, audio messages, videos, uh, like you could exchange a few audio messages like, hey, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, sure. Okay, would you sell me it for this price? Yes, I will. And now you have a, a, a verified record of an, of, of an oral contract, which meets specific criteria to be considered a contract. And now you can prove it because you have the evidence element of it. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make deal making fun. We're trying to make it enjoyable, and we're trying to make it quick, efficient, and still legally compliant. Well, that's that's really interesting. So almost like a chat system, um, and then and that turns into a legal document. Exactly. So you could consider a chat being the document, being the mm-hmm. agreement. So it has a structure. You could prove it, and you have identified people. You have timestamps. You have dates. You have statuses, and you have the final approval saying yes, I approve, or like. Sure, let's proceed, and you know you could treat that as an agreement. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're starting a little bit more conservative, and we're adding easy to create like drag and drop contracts and documents. So like you could create a basic service agreement, upload it like your lawyer has produced it. You upload it into Pact, and mm-hmm. then you could share it, and it drops into the chat, and you see like that contract 
uh, image there. You could open it up, you'll see the contract, you could sign it, you could negotiate it, like you'd highlight a sentence and click negotiate and you would counter offer your term if you want to. Very intuitive, very easy. And then you reach to a final kind of decision, you sign it properly. And But that's only the start. Like everyone thinks like, okay, legal is about contracts and documents and everything else. But the signature is just a moment between like building up trust and then actually executing what you've agreed upon, right? So the signature is just, it's like kicking it off, kicking off your relationship. And you have shipments, payments, warranty, liability, like upsells, cross-sells. You have a bunch of other legally and financially important interactions that you have to have somehow facilitate. And what happens right now? Well, you'll have a bunch of crazy scattered chains of emails, which you could die in. <laughs> Um, you would sometimes plug in your texts, calls, WhatsApps. Don't recommend doing it on WhatsApp for a bunch of purposes, <laughs> for a bunch of reasons, but um, becomes a mess. And that's what we're trying to uh, funnel down to a, a single platform, which is ready to go and easy to use. Wow. I mean, that's, that's really cool. Um, I mean, I, I use contracts all the time, right? Like, especially having a sales background. It's one of the most annoying things because you can go and talk to a client, negotiate over the phone, in person, email, whatever it is, and then you have to take a break, move on to a different application or go to a computer, you know, I've made the modifications to, to the document, send it over to them, then they review it, and if they have any notes, they send it back. Or if they sign it, then they send it back, then we sign it, then send it back, <laughs> right? And exactly. Then, like, it's such a multi-stage process. It's it's one of the most annoying parts of sale, sales, right? is the actual closing part of it. It's supposed to be the most funnest part, but it's, it's so tedious because of, yeah, of the back and forth. Exactly, you're just, you're just seeing through it. Why? Because it should be the funnest part, right? Like you're just the good old days when, when you had a, a nice quill and you're signing on this contract and you like your heart is beating and you're like, yes, I've, like, I've signed this deal mm -hmm. off finally and you should be excited and like, run and go execute whatever you've agreed upon but now it's like oh finally i got it like you know like with all of this yeah. delay and emails and like revisions and the problem with revisions is actually not that obvious but it's very interesting uh, I, i'll drill down into it a little bit so everyone uses word right mm -hmm. and word you have like you have those like revisions you have red lines you have edits and then when you send it to the other party, they always have to use some kind of a software to compare that there, there are no tricks and that you haven't you know, edited anything. And lawyers come up with a bunch of different interesting mechanisms of how to compare all of those changes, um, especially when it's like multi-party communication, when it's like five people negotiating. Let's say it's like a five-party five contract, right? That becomes ugly really quick. <laughs> And someone would say like, okay, but you have Google Docs, right? Google Docs is like online, it's quick, it's efficient. The problem is that lawyers don't share Google Doc links because if you share Google Doc link and enable the other party to edit, it's not that obvious where you have edited something and you almost give them permission inside of your own territory. Mm. And that's why they keep sending PDFs and like Word documents back and forth. And that's why the whole ugliness of the negotiation process remains. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I notice this about lawyers too. I think that's a good explanation is because, you know, they're very hesitant to use more technologies, like even like DocuSign or things like that. Like they just send PDFs. I always wondered about that. It's like, why? So I think that's a good clarification. So let's talk about where this came from, like why the need to build this uh, personally, um, where the, where the driver come, uh, driving force come from? Well, um I'm a second time founder. So I, I had originally I'm from Ukraine and uh, I moved to Canada probably like five years ago. I had an, and like a startup back in Kiev, uh, it was an on-demand iPhone repair service. So mm -hmm. I had a bunch of technicians who were visiting our customers and fixing the phones right in front of them. And probably 90% of my business I was doing in a messenger uh, called Telegram. So it gets more and more popular these days, but, um, when I came to Canada, and, and I was doing that while I was studying in two universities. So I graduated, and then I moved to Canada, and you know I've, I have ambitious plans about my future. So <laughs> that's why I'm I'm looking for the for the next big thing, um, and I'm visiting all of these like legal tech hackathons, uh, IT events, and on one of the hackathons I met William, uh, our legal co-founder, 
-hmm. And we were thinking of building like this procedural optimization tool for civil litigation for like personal injury and stuff like that. Super boring, super hard to sell. <laughs> and we decided not to go with it um, after we've evolved a little bit. But then we were crystallizing. And I think we boiled down our experiences. So my experience of doing business online and uh, through messengers and William's kind of desire to keep optimizing the process of the legal and procedural things. And we've just probably merged that. And hmm. I've experienced it, right? And when I was here in Canada, no one is doing business in WhatsApp because uh, it's hard to prove. It's, it's they, they steal your data. <laughs> and it's just not a, a common thing to do. And we decided to go and create like a chat for business. And although we had this final concept in our minds, it was hard to express what a chat for business is and like what would you do with it. And people were always like asking questions. Okay, so how are you different from like Slack? How are you different from WhatsApp? Not understanding the core of it. And um, after reading a book from April Dunford uh, for, about positioning, um, I was able to finally crystallize and create this concept. And I called it the agreement platform. So there's not, nothing like an agreement platform existing right now on the market. So um, there are amazing services like DocuSign's Agreement Cloud or Pandadocs or AirSlate, which are getting closer to this area, but they still don't have the communication element. They still don't have the chat, the flexibility, and they're reliant on heavy email processes, which still makes it ugly. They do, of course, automate and speed up specific parts of the agreement, like creating contracts and maybe negotiating a little bit, but not not the whole uh, experience. Yeah, and that's, we're here, like uh, ideation, developed our demo, um, pitched, won some pitch events, went to Founder Institute last summer, graduated from it, became part of the Legal Innovation Zone, now we have an advisory board, users in the wait list, the LOI signed, a bunch of validation, and like we do feel the problem better. So we've iterated and now we have a new set of, of designs and like UX, UI, how it would look like. And I'm super, um, you know, passionate about finally making it happen and so start selling it and start giving it out to all of those founders who are struggling and try to make their life a little bit better. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love that so much, you know, like being able to ideate uh, and iterate really quickly, test it out, get uh, validation and move forward. I mean, that's classic, like standard, like uh, lean startup kind of principles right there, right? How to just come up with, an, uh, you know, come up with the problem sets for solutions. I, I like this because like, I mean, we, we see like two types of entrepreneurs, especially in the tech industry, right? One is the entrepreneurs who are like, get fascinated by a problem and they're like, I want to solve this. And others are more like, I just want to solve something, you know? And I, I, they, they develop a set of principles and start testing out in the market. What can I solve? What can I solve? What can I solve, right? Um, we, you know, we call it internally visionaries versus operators, right? Visionaries, you know, they see, you know, the mountaintop, they see what could be, and they're like drawn to it and they go out and figure out the skill sets to develop it. Others, you know, the operators develop the skill sets to solve problems and then they go out and uh, tackle problem sets. And that seems to be where, where, where you kind of lie on, where you just came across this problem, like, hey, let's go solve this. And you kind of come up with more, not more novel ways of doing it. I love that journey so much. So let's talk about the team, right? Is that you, you and your co-founder? It's a legal co-founder. Is he a lawyer? Is did he work in the legal industry? Yeah, yeah. So we are, um, we're actually three co-founders. Okay. So I myself, uh, I have more of like the marketing, financial, and overall strategic backgrounds. Um, William, uh, he is our legal co-founder. Yes, he is in civil law, and he also has some experience with uh, the commercial side of things. He was top of his class for Canadian tax income, and uh, uh, he was also in UFT, uh, co-editor for some kind of a newspaper. Mm. And you know, he's like really sharp for these like optimization. He's like an optimization geek. That's what I would say. <laughs> Up to a minute, like you know, lawyers. Come on, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but but he's a fun lawyer, so he's not a boring one. Um, and then our third co-founder is Slava. So he's my classmate actually from back from school, and. Yeah. He is a senior full-stack developer, so he had some previous CTO experience, scaling infrastructure and building, you know, like development teams. He somehow has a super skill of getting aligned with developers even better than me. So that's like his, his superpower, which is very great for, you know, scaling and building dev teams. Uh, and he is a very critical thinker, so he helps us question everything and find extra and extra triple proof for like you know substantiating everything it's just like 
I just feel it that way. Or like, I know it doesn't work. You have to be like, <laughs> so that's our, that's our team. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I also have people helping us like, uh, uh, they're not full time. So we have designers, we have developers, we have a lot of supporters, we have advisors, but we're getting there. We're, 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 we're planning to grow quick. Awesome, man. Um, so you've been in operation about, about two years now, you said? So we've started uh, ideating and crystallizing it. And until we reached this like kind of final point where we decided, okay, we'll start to develop it. Uh, took a, probably a year. And then we started developing the demo uh, May 2019. So we built the demo environment, which is probably 60% of an MVP throughout 2019. And then 2020, we were, we've refocused more on validating iterating, uh, talking with founders and and gaining this wait list and LOIs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the iterator process is is, uh, so crucial and yet so tedious, right? So um, there's a a statement with Henry Ford that always sticks out, right? It's like, if I asked people what they wanted for transportation, they would have said a faster horse. So there's there's always this back and forth between uh, innovation, right? It's like, do we build for the customer? Or do we build for the problem and then find the customer for it after, right? In our case, it's actually kind of funny. So it happened this way. We're like, we want to do a chat app for businesses. So mm-hmm. we have that vision. We're like, we're just, we're just doing it. Was that right? Probably not, right? Like <laughs> based on all of the like the theories and how you build businesses and companies and how do you. But I truly do believe that people sometimes don't even know what they want. And we had a lot of examples of how they're rare, they're rare, but a lot of examples <laughs> of how unique new products just totally change the behavior and how people use things or how people do things. Um, if I would have asked someone what they want, they would say probably like a faster email, right? In my case. And that's superhuman. And superhuman is an amazing product. It is like a super quick email. But I don't see the market going there, to be honest, in like five years, in like 10 years. Let's, let's, let's think, like, let's hi- hypothesize. So you have a bunch of uh, millennials right now jumping into the market for, uh, space. And after them, the next generation, right? Uh, they're all like about chat. They're like Instagram, TikTok. Uh, Clubhouse is more for older people, but <laughs> not Gen Z, but still, like like the, the, the youngsters are all, my brother, for example, he's all mm. in chats. Do you think they would be doing a lot of emails? Hmm. Right? No. Yeah. I mean, why would they need a faster email? Like if they could chat their buddy and like, or like their business partner who is their buddy and then they're, they're grown up. So um, take another thing into consideration, let's say VR, AR experiences. Okay, so you're, you have this goggles on you'd still need an interface to communicate something so you need a chat window on the bottom left just like in world of warcraft or like any other kind of game right how would you communicate with people in virtual reality still it's chat it's voice sure but it's chat based as well like and then you're doing a virtual deal in a virtual boardroom with the goggles on but you still need the script of the conversation to be stored somewhere and that's where i believe like the grand future of Pact would be where we would be integrating, we'd, we'll build this infrastructure for, for the digital deal making because email is not a tool for, for deal making. It's, it's actually electronic letters. So you have a letter and you just do like an electronic copy of that with mm. signatures and choosing parties each time and then folding it in an envelope and then sending a pigeon with like an electronic bytes and bits there and then the other party gets it and each time you have to add the signature and it, it, it's like a lot, it's not a message-based system. So the idea mm. is that it's a letter-centric system compared to a more efficient message-based system. And we believe that uh, there are also additional layers like KYC that you know how, you have to know who you're dealing with, right? Because you could register any email and pretend like that's why there's a lot of email fraud online. Right? That's why people are stealing money, saying, pretending to be CEOs of the company, emailing to their accountant, like, oh, do a wire payment right now to Hong Kong. And that's uh, like $30 billion. I don't remember, but FBI has uh, evaluated it being like a multi-billion dollar problem, like a large one. And that's why we're looking to wove in those legally necessary elements and security into the process, make it simple as a chat, 
and here you go this is the infrastructure for deals and for like those important communication not just chats for fun yeah yeah so i think you gave a, a lot of interesting t uh, tidbits there like one that has a really good explanation of emails and the limitations of that because it, it was built on like that archaic kind of you know uh, knowledge right like we think of innovation as like lasers and moving things at light speed and, and everything's being like you know like super sci-fi but in reality everything kind of builds upon its uh, upon like older iterations right like literally the, the the paper pen and paper letters was digitized into email right mail becoming email electronic mail and uh, and then messaging becoming more instantaneous communication um right so talking about like talking about that like uh, kyc and aml right got really popular and digitized really well during the blockchain revolution right one of the like one of the tidbits of uh, in 2017 and blockchain got super popular right it didn't go as far as like everyone dreamed it did but out of that process came the capability to do aml and 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 kyc in a much more efficient way there's a whole bunch of companies came out outward with like uh you know plug and play algorithms that can uh, that can go through databases and do the uh, do these kind of things right so what how does that message blend with a chat app because part of like what people use with chats is like you want to be ethereal right like whatsapp now everyone's moving to signal because whatsapp being cracked open and now your data's data's being poured out into facebook people don't like that millions of people move to signal because okay we want to be secured and and, and almost have like a and like control over our data systems right but even then you can set up a new phone line a phone signal and suddenly have a new chat app you can change your name you can change your profile picture, you can change who you are and become a, you know, become a different person. So taking that kind of concept and applying to chat, it's like, no, this is who I am, who I say I am. How has that been in a user behavior kind of kind of training sense? Like, do people want or are driven by the idea of like, hey, this is who I am, say I am, and then I can communicate to other people who say, say they are? Like, you're creating a closed ecosystem almost, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So there are some cases where you want to stay private. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be super private and chat with your friends, your family, your networks about everything pretty much and not be scanned through by, by the owner of the platform, right? That's what like it should be. And that's why uh, Signal is getting big and kudos for them, right? Um, there are some, on the other side, there are some times where you want to be identified. Let's say you are communicating with your government right and then you're getting this prolongation of your driver license or you are entering into an important deal a contract you want to be identified there on the contract itself right you want to be clearly stated and the other party is stated so now you are entering into this deal because it, it's it's a big deal it's like fifty thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars or like even if you're buying a used i don't know car for five thousand still it's important so for those cases you want to be identified uh, to avoid fraud, uh, legal uncertainty, financial uncertainty for regulations and inspections, uh, and just for personal record. Um, what we are trying to do with PACT is get that concept of super security and marry it with like being identified, but only when you need to disclose it, right? So you enter into an agreement in the chat, both parties could extract that. And then if something goes wrong, or write, or you have an audit, or, or, or you have a dispute, or whatever, you could extract that, and you could then show it to the court, right? Or would create like a instant connection that it automatically gets downloaded, formed into some kind of a, a visualized version for the court, for like small claims, or for larger claims, and gets, gets filed there. Um, I do believe in like security and like privacy, so I'll be trying my best to to incorporate that as the essential piece of the product. Um, and our business model is actually not an ad, ads-based and like attention-based business model. So we wouldn't be pinning ping, pinging you whenever like we want just to get you inside to earn an extra buck. It'll be a subscription model. And uh, we would also have probably like a commission from payment. So if you cover your contracts, we would enable you a payment processing option. And basically we might charge like a micro percentage out of that. Um, that's, that's, that's the idea. And yeah, I think, does that answer what you're asking? No, and then, uh, sorry, the, the, no. A, the additional thing, yeah. So like how does it marry that like people are, uh, you know, perceiving chat as, as not very serious sometimes, right? 
Um, but but we see this tendency, this evolution of, of chatting. Um, first of all, your personal communication went probably from like Skype and Hotmail to WhatsApp, right? Then your intra-team communication with your your like colleagues and 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 co-founders went from email to Slack, right? Or like Microsoft Teams or Skype for Business or, or any other kind of chat platform. And then the third section, which is like external communication, hasn't gone to chat, and we want to kind of bridge that gap. And we do see a pattern of people getting more and more used to chatting. And we do believe that it's more efficient and it's easier when there's like 10 people involved in the deal. Um, yeah, and that's why we're kind of blending it all together. I love that. That's that's interesting because it's, it's segmenting not, pe not people, but use cases, right? What people use communications for. So uh, I want to talk more about the closed ecosystem because I think what you're building is pretty important for people to transact virtually is is, is the next thing, right? Because think about it, like even with like other tools like Facebook Marketplace right now is probably one of the greatest marketplaces ever invented. Like there's so much traction. Like me and my wife are on that all the time, buying and sell things, items. It's so ethereal because you can put up something and it gets in front of so many eyeballs that you know you get so much attention for it and you can liquidate things really quickly. And, but the issue with that is you can't transact. Facebook tried to try to fix its solution with like its own crypto coin that it didn't end up going through. But even then, you don't really know who you're interacting with, right? So this problem is like, is like, hey, how can you truly interact with yourself? Like, yeah, we can have, like one of the best things right now is probably LinkedIn. Because you can go on someone's LinkedIn, you know, as long as they have a certain amount of connections, you know that they're not fake because they're, everyone in the, in the database is saying that, hey, this person really does exist, that's so why I'm connected to them see their work history, you know, you can qualify them as a person, almost do you like your almost informal um, uh, KYC, right? But like, again, you can't transact directly off any one platform, right? I'll, There's, I'll tell you a funny story, man, about mm -hmm. LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, there was this story when, so like I got approached by a person. So actually there is some, spe like a specific percentage of people on LinkedIn being actually fake. Mm -hmm. Like the only true thing is their photo, but like their whole history is just like made up like ex Google, like triple times Apple. No, that's very obvious. But like you have some some compelling profiles sometimes. Mm -hmm. Stan Stanford graduate. Uh, and then like, you know, he's just done all of this. And then he's a founder in virtual media experience agency and then something else. So I got this funny story when a guy approached me and then he's like, yeah, well, I have this business idea. I have to catch up for a beer or something. And I'm typically open, right? So I'm like, I'm, I'm trying also to give back. Like I'm asking a lot right now at this stage at like the pre-seed kind of pre-revenue stage. I probably have more people helping me than me helping them because we have to bring it up. But when I have an opportunity, I'm trying to as well, right? Like get in touch, chat with them. So I was like, okay, let's go and chat with you. And basically I got trapped in like an MLM kind of meeting, you know, and they're trying to, <laughs> <laughs> and they're trying to sell you something. And, this guy had like his experience. He was like a consultant at a solid IT consultancy here in Toronto, which I know. And then like something else. And then he's like an, an analyst as well. I'm like, should be like real deal, right? Like, <laughs> so when you're saying that like, typically a 90%, you're right. Like LinkedIn would be true people with their real experiences. Oh, I'm not saying it's, it's nowhere near perfect. Absolutely. There's a lot of fakes on there, but <laughs> What I'm saying is, right now, that's what you have available to you. That's right. No, and then yeah. Kijiji, like think of Kijiji, right? That's like the second best marketplace after Facebook's marketplace, right? Because Facebook outgrown Kijiji because of the reach, right? And and like the speed, and you could promote your uh, marketplace posting and just like get a bunch of people reacting to you. But then you don't know, right? You're you're exactly right. You don't know who's on the other side. Let's imagine you're buying like. I used phone, right? And the person like, yeah, it's never locked, never repaired, brand new, sealed in a box, super good, $1,000. You're meeting with this person somewhere in like Dundas Square, and they give you the box, you give them the money, you come home, you like if, if like you should always be testing your phones, that's number one advice for me. But like if you didn't that, you're opening it up and there's a brick, and then the mm. guy disappeared and you can't reach him back and you're out of your thousand, right? Uh, or something more realistic. You actually buy a, a solid iPhone, but then it occurred that it had water damage, it was three times repaired, and it's just like stopped working in a few days. 
if you have had the other person identified and them being clearly stating that the phone is brand new, never repaired, all good, you could enforce your, your interaction. And at least you could like threaten them to sue them or go to actually go to small claims and get the money back, right? So uh, this provides, this filters out the tricksters and like the fraudsters from the people who really want to sell and enter into this like, you know, secondhand economy, which is huge. It's growing like uh, all of these used things. And now they could sell at a premium because people know that they're true and that they're like liable and that they're identified. So now instead of selling your phone for a thousand, you could sell for a thousand and one hundred compared to like a thousand three hundred retail because that's that's the premium that you get for being like true authentic yeah. authentic right so that's that's another thing yeah 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 i mean going, going back to the idea like the idea of a marketplace where everyone is uh, transacting is authenticated or verified i think that that is so key right because i mean that's how you move like that economy itself will be self self-serving like self like trustworthy right like uh, I think you you, you call it you call it perfectly by saying you can it's a premium service almost because I know who uh, the person interacting can't screw me because they're verified and if they do I at least have a way to like you know notify everybody else or identify who the person is or enforce a contract even better right so let's talk about the contracting capability has messaging services been used in court you know you could you know I I know in like like maybe in criminal courts and and some of that would be used as evidence. But in like litigation, like maybe in like a more corporate sense or in a more uh, like, you know, enforcing a contract sense, has there been case examples of uh, messaging being used in court to defend something? That, that's an amazing question. So um, the short answer is yes, there's, there, there are attempts of using messaging as evidence. And then when you start digging into it, you start to get to feel and appreciate how old school the legal systems are. <laughs> mm. So what happens is you have to print out the screenshots of the chat messages to actually show them. And then if there were cases I've seen online where uh, court declined chat messaging because uh, the other party had a good lawyer and they said it's hearsay, you could have changed it and they deleted all the messages on their side so you cannot verify it or like you could screw it up a hundred different times. That's why services that like archive WhatsApp communications start started to arise. But like who actually uses that? Like do you use an archiving tool for your WhatsApp communication, right? Mm. <laughs> you typically don't. So uh, actually proving the point that you have transacted on a chat app is very tough. And a lot of applications still don't have the proper extract function. And moreover, if they have, it's still uncertain. It's just like it probably might be like a username or if it's linked to a phone, okay, that's better. But then it, 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 just, it just becomes super complex. And, and it's, it's uh, comparable to emails, but with emails and like corporate commercial courts, you could drag in and roll in like a, a TV screen. This is how they do it. Uh, well, based on what they told me. Uh, and they could open up like an email account and they can open up a message and actually show it in court like you probably wouldn't be like just unlocking your phone and hey judge take a look at my phone here that's probably not how not the way how it works yeah so so there were a few moving elements in the mechanism that made it super complex now with covid and like with digitizing all of this now electronic evidence is getting more and more used and we see a pattern of like electronic evidence you being used better so now we have made the job of the judge and like everyone involved easier by providing a really easy to follow identified set of evidence with like timestamps and everything kind of aligned there. Just like you could extract it in a click and send it over and then that's pretty much it. Hmm. So, so yeah, so there's a bunch of interesting cases when uh, chat messages were rejected and were not accepted as evidence. And there were cases when they were accepted. It depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on the lawyers and depends on their battles. And it's all messy. Hmm. That's, that's pretty interesting. So like based off of this, like from your legal co-founders kind of perspective, like how does he see this being utilized in court? Let's say someone makes an agreement through your application through pact. And then, um, and then like, you know, you you have a pact now to to uh, I just got the name by the way that that's actually great <laughs> right 
right? Packed with a queue. So once you have a, a, a <laughs> when you come into a pact, right? Um, and, and you have a contract in place, you agree, you sign off on it, right? How, how would the extraction procedure work if, if someone, like, it's like, you know, defraud somebody or like they need to sue somebody or they need to like, like, you know, pursue more, uh, more aggressive action? What, what, would, what would stages look like? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a great question. So we have this concept called chat extract. So a chat extract is a small button on the bottom right which you click and it extracts the full sequence of your communication of this specific chat. So it's, it extracts the parties, it extracts the timestamps, like when the message was sent, read, viewed. So it extracts it as an, a website. So it's a folder hmm. and there's an HTML file and you can click on it and it would open in any browser and you could see the chat history as if you were signed into Pact. Oh, that's so could, interesting. And then you could download all the documents, you could download all the photos, you can download all the audios, you could read it. And there's a second button called server log. You click on it and you get the full server log. So the opposite from WhatsApp, what they're doing, they're like, we won't disclose it to anyone and you have to die before you get it or you have to be like the top FBI guy there and you have to investigate something really, really bad to get access to that. Mm -hmm. Because WhatsApp doesn't give you server logs. Good luck going there and getting that. They, they wouldn't, right? They just don't have the facility for it. But what we are doing, we're building it by design that if you need it for your mm. business dealings, you could extract it and then you could go in court and present it. And that's like in an easy bundle, like, like a zip file or like a folder. You go into it, you open the HTML file and it opens in the browser. Moreover, we plan to attach blockchain stamps to that extract. So with time, so we're building this, um, the hashing process inside where your daily communication or like moments of truth, let's say when you signed a contract, would trigger an event which would create a hash. And that hash would be posted on a public blockchain like Ethereum or like EOS, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have in your extract those hashes. So now you have a double degree proof that those messages weren't altered by a hacker on the back end. So let's say you have a $100 million deal and, and you're selling like Leonardo da Vinci's painting and you said like, yeah, I agree for $100 million. And then a hacker went in and trolled everyone and just changed that to a no. That's what could happen on WhatsApp. So on WhatsApp right now, uh, different intelligence agencies could hack into your phone through spamming. That was like a, a vulnerability found back in the day, through spamming like the video call option have access to all of your contacts, all of your messages, and they could change the messages, they could delete the messages, they have full control over that. And that's where that kind of blockchain decentralized system helps. The only worry I have right now is that with quantum computing, um, all of these like cryptocurrencies and blockchain hashes could be recalculated back and rewritten. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't know if, if, if Cryptocurrencies, uh, maybe I'm saying something really stupid here, but uh, how I understand it is that like you have mathematical processes involved in each blockchain, right? And they're cryptographic, which you kind of hash each block and attach it one to another. And because it's distributed, you could do a lot of computations and you kind of cannot backtrack it with existing computers. But what if you have like a super duper quantum computer that could do it that, that in a second? Yeah. And then it rewrites the ownership for all of the bitcoins to this one specific guy. So um, <laughs> that's something that I'm kind of worried about. But still, like we'll see when we when we get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a it is a problem with the with the, um, the blockchain community, right? Like the quantum computing back and forth. Like is this for modern day output? Like this is super secure. But even with like uh, Bitcoin, I mean, you can't Bitcoin can be modified. It's crypto hash is, is, is super secure now for nowadays computing standards. And it will be off the progression of like uh, how, how we think computing will get for the next 20 years. What happens after that? What happened, like you said, like there's a sudden revolution and suddenly there's a huge uh, in, uh, like, you know, increase in like the level of computation capabilities. And then boom, it, it gets beyond there. So yeah, I think there's definitely some uh, merits to that kind of conversation. But I mean, I, I, what I like about your solution is not, it's not, it doesn't rely on blockchain, you know, like, most blockchain yeah, technologies no, yeah, yeah. are like are, are like gimmicky because it's they're not they're not really that that efficient or quick, right? I, lo I like the HTML output because then that way it's almost like you have a live reader that you can click through and actually see it almost as it's happening real time. Um, 
So let's talk about like use cases. Like, are, uh, is this available right now? Is people using it? Are you testing it out? What 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 stage are you at? Yeah, yeah, great question. So we are um, we have a demo environment, and the demo environment enables us to prove the concept with founders and just jump in and test it for fun. Mm-hmm. And we have significantly evolved during this summer. So we have evolved from having like our mini micro agreements called like mini pacts or whatever, right? And and we evolved to like having a document editor where you could come up with your own version of any document, like an invoice, uh, a quote, uh, uh, a contract, uh, anything else. It's it, it's just drag and drop. It's pretty basic, but it would cover most of the needs. And we're mainly focusing on contracts and, and NDAs and like master agreements, services, like all of that stuff. Uh, but still, you're able to throw in a small table and do like a mini invoice probably. Um, that's what we need kind of to get to. And uh, we are not selling it to anyone and we're not in allowing anyone to use it for commercial purpose. So my thinking is the following. I could have done that. I said like, oh, it's 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 100% secure, right? It's on AWS. And that's true. We're using AWS infrastructure. Um, and, and like we have thought of a bunch of things, but commercial communication is different from just like sending memes to each other. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I want to be a hundred percent sure. And I want to do, uh, at least set us on the tra- trails and the, the tracks for, for, uh, SOC compliancy, right? Um, probably SOC two and start kind of working in that way. Um, that's why we are looking for funding right now to close the cybersecurity gap that I see. Um, evolve the contract creation flow and implement like the UX UIs that we've developed throughout the summer. So we are not selling it. Uh, it's not available for usage right now. Uh, we have run it through and used it to prove the concepts and like the logic that it works and that people want it. And some people are like super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would probably launch it closer to the end of the summer. So from what I see it right now, like um, try to do the fundraise, uh, the pre-seed, the angel round. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would then boost up our, our talent a little bit. Um, and then we would finish up the first iteration of it, which would be like the first commercial grade version of it that like we could give out to SMBs. We will onboard people from our wait list and from our LOIs uh, to start using it. Uh, we would iterate on their feedback, polish it, make it fly, no bugs, super quick. People love it. And that's where we do the official. That's like that will be like the pilot or like the beta version of it, the closed limited beta. And then we'd be enabling it to all other users, probably also in like waves of beta, limited access beta, or or uh, a more active outreach. I don't know. At this point of time, we'll try to make it a little bit viral and uh, maybe like an invite only. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that's interesting. Like, can you, can you talk about the compliance issues, uh, SOC compliance, and what that means? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a it's, the the cybersecurity world is actually very funny, and you might be amazed how many tools you're using that are stating they're super cyber secure, but they're not. So uh, there's this two camps of mm-hmm. of cybersecurity. The first camp is policies and procedures and compliance and like meeting the regulatory requirements. And typically, you would need that if you're selling to a large enterprise, right? You would go to like a large Canadian bank and ask them like, oh, we have this new tool. You want to use it? They're like, sure. Um, here's like an 80-page requirement document that you have to sign off before we could even take, take and test it. And a lot of check marks are like, do you have this? Like, yes. Do you have like a policy? Yes. Okay, sure. And then you go through it. And a lot of times you just kind of go through it, prepare all the documents, kind of think of the processes and how you would report and react to incidents. And you're kind of good and you, you start selling to the businesses. And there's a second camp of like the actual true hackers who could like destroy the app with like a few commands, right? And that's where we're trying to balance off and kind of merge the both. So the SOC compliancy is I have to have regular like policies, procedures, bunch of documentation, and then you have to do a penetration test. Uh, and then you have to audit that. So auditors come in, review your document, review the penetration test results, and kind of make a sign-off saying, yeah, it's SOC compliant. So SOC compliance is also like an arbitrary thing. There's no one unit or one body in the world that would issue that you are cyber secure. No one can say that, so it's kind of vague. 
but my main focus is actually getting like white hat hackers to jump in, test it out, destroy it, find loopholes, and get us working in the direction of closing those. You know, maybe like hackathons and all those fun events when um, uh, even how Telegram does it, they have these uh, competitions where they give some monetary benefits for people that try to just destroy the app or find loopholes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm familiar with this. Like, there was a company that came through the podcast before that talked about this, right? So they they launched like purposeful like um, uh, like assault on their on their application. It's a company called New Vote. They do election technology. So if you can imagine, yeah. election <laughs> technology is uh, you know you have to be t- time and tested. And he actually got some of the experts, the the, the, the people who like the greatest deniers of of like elect, like uh, elections to try to hack and penetrate the system and tested it and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And one by one, just got them to say like, hey, this is great. This is, this actually works. This system works. And he turned the naysayers into the, into the, into the, into um, now uh, champions of his product. Because mm-hmm. they're like, everyone else is like, uh, we're, we're not sure about and we're reluctant about this we tested. And we're like, hey, this is great, right? So it, I think it's a wicked way of like, Taking, like, uh, what's, it, what's it, disregarding the naysayers or even converting the naysayers into your side, right? So what would that look like? Who, who would you go to for this? Would, would you go to like a, a university program? Um, are there like private companies that do this kind of service? Like what, what would this look like? You mean the actual process of like trying to convert people who might be skeptical into... As in, like, uh, sorry, test your system out uh, for vulnerabilities. Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're would be open to to a bunch. So basically, there there are agencies that are um, offering cybersecurity uh, as like a service. Like right? audits, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and they have teams of like those developers and kind of ethical hackers who who penetrate and and do that. We'll we'll just like shortlist a few. Um, moreover, we have a unique opportunity of of scaling talent globally these days. So probably would find a few also interesting people in Ukraine who might be uh, trying to penetrate it. Um, and then and then we're also um, I'm I'm like reviewing these events. Uh, we have one of our supporters. Uh, his name is James, uh, and he is uh, a founder of like a, a drone company uh, called Terranova Defense. Mm. And basically, they're they're building this community for cybersecurity. CCU uh, Alliance. Uh, so basically, they're they're trying to gather experts in cybersecurity, um, service providers, uh, and you know build this up. So I'm 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 a follower of theirs, and um, I'm visiting I'm visiting those events, and um, I'd keep doing that, and hopefully they're going to be growing and evolving, and and we might have access to all of these top firms as well later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's such a u- unique place to be in, right? Like here you go, you build this thing out. And now it's like, okay, I need I need people to break this, <laughs> break it for me, and see what uh, see what happens. Uh, it's always a unique play, starting point to look at a company from that point of point of view. But um, cool, like what's what's next for you guys? Um, you know, how's Legal Innovation Zone been? Um, are you are you sticking around there for a while? Are you gonna look for other incubators? What's going on next? Yeah, yeah. Well, we are. Um, so back last year, uh, to backtrack it a little bit, we went through Founder Institute. And I was kind of skeptical about it uh, at the first point in time, uh, and I w- wasn't sure if we should go there or no. But I, I just uh, did a-, a leap of trust because Sunil was uh, the director for Founder Institute, and he, Sunil Sharma, he is the, the director of uh, TechStars Canada as well. And uh, I-, I was like, okay, well, that couldn't be bad if he's on board. And indeed, like I've discovered all these wonderful people uh, who are organizing it, a bunch of mentors, it's a large community. So we went through that kind of incubation slash kind of acceleration process there, developed a lot of things. Uh, And now, yes, we've jumped into the legal innovation zone. The guys are very helpful. You have access to other legal tech founders. So you could reach out to them, chat with them, uh, build relationships, you know, like it's, it's it's a community. Uh, unfortunately, now with COVID, you're not able to actually physically mingle with them in, in their like, space, like the actual legal innovation zone. So that's unfortunate. We're looking towards that. But um, yeah, we're, we're probably wouldn't be looking for any accelerators that, that have like the standard program that would kind of go again through like customer development and building a deck and then doing everything because we mm-hmm. went through that. But we're looking on a few very interesting accelerators that might offer you like business development 
and growing networks as the acceleration. So they would actually find people who would help you build the business and like go reach out to large corporations or go and reach out to angels to like build up your network for the fundraising efforts or, or do something else. And currently we're in the funding lab, which is like the second stage of Founder Institute, which is a structured program to help you fundraise. So they've been instrumental, instrumental to help us prepare all of the background that we needed, like data rooms, pitch decks, and like the structure and build up basically a strategy of fundraising. Like uh, what is an angel investor, right? And what they think and what they, um, what you, you know, like what their approach is, like and how do you approach an angel investor and that you, you follow up, you know, with emails and additional data and that uh, you don't want to be talking too much, right? You just want to be uh, strict up to the point without, without uh, over kind of, <laughs> boring them because they see hundreds and hundreds of, of, of pitches and how do you stand out, right? Mm-hmm. So these kind of questions. So afterwards, I, I think I'm quite optimistic about our efforts. We, we've did a lot. We've did a bunch of homework. I have a lot of supporters, a lot of advisors, and I'm very truly thankful to all of them. Uh, without them, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, it's all about like the community in the end of the day. It's, this is funny, like right? You would think like, oh, this guy is building the thing. No, it's like everyone else is building the thing and this guy is trying to somehow manage like what's going around. <laughs> 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 right? Like it's it's like people are everything and in the end of the day it's people who are building things for other people and it's people who help other people get results and get to that next level. So so yeah, so that's where yeah. we at and uh, that's what we would be trying to build up a, a even more solid team and then just make a hurricane in the contracts market and and let everyone know that it's not only about the documents and the signatures just like let, let's go beyond that let's finally get into the 21st century and have the flexibility of deal making it's like Record a video as part of your agreement. Attach a photo. Okay, it's time. Now is the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the vision. I love the product. Um, you know, as I said before, as a salesman, um, I would 100% use something like this. Um, I'm looking forward to it coming out. Let me know. Let us know, and we'll do our best to promote it as well. Uh, we might even end up using it. it seems very, uh, very tactful and very timely. Uh, uh, you know, meant for the times. But uh, I really like one of the things you just said right now, you know, this is what this is, it's startups, right? It's people building things for people, right? And uh, I like the iterative process you're doing this. Um, when you're ready to test, sign us up. I would love to take a look. But uh, Anatoly, man, this has been great. Thank you for, so much for coming on and sharing your journey. Amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a big pleasure to be here. And I'm looking forward to new podcasts, opportunities, and chats. Maybe we'll launch. I'm looking at this clubhouse thing. Maybe I would launch like a daily deal maker room or a club or something there and try gather a lot of people who are in sales, who are, you know, are these frequent deal makers and like who are signing deals, striking them and just their heads are exploding. Try to build a community out of there. So maybe uh, if that would happen, maybe uh, I would try and invite you guys as well to jump in and share your perspective on the sales side. So yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Sure. Definitely. Um, stick around for a few minutes. We'll do a quick debrief. And for everyone else to, uh, uh, who stuck around, this is Anatoly with Pact. Thanks. Guys.